What's up, Lamb Fam? Welcome back to the Life After Miscarriage podcast, where we unapologetically chat the ins and outs of what life is actually like after miscarriage. I'm your host, Shelly Metling, and with four angel babies myself and one rainbow baby here on earth, I have created a platform for you guys to share your stories. So sit back, relax, get ready to relate, laugh, and cry as we get real on what life is actually like after miscarriage in the 21st century. Hello, everyone. We have Caitlin Kumo on the episode today. I'm so excited. You guys, she just got off night shift as a nurse, the full moon last night. So bear with us here. Um, I feel sorry for her. We were just just talking about that. So I thought it was funny, but I'm just going to throw it at you, Caitlin. Start wherever you'd like. All right. So um, my husband and I have been together since we were in high school. Um, we started dating our sophomore year of high school. And actually right after that, I found out that my dad got a new job and we were going to be moving far away. So of course, like, you know, typical 16 year old, I like bawled my eyes out. Um, but we stayed together and we made it work and made it work through college. And after college, um, it was about a year and a half before we got engaged and, So when we got engaged, we kind of knew one of us was going to be moving. I ended up moving back to the area that I grew up in. Um, And we went through our premarital counseling um, with our pastor that was going to marry us. And actually, it's kind of funny looking back on all these things now. Like in the moment, you're just so excited, like I'm doing premarital counseling. And this is so exciting. We're going to get married. Everything's going to be perfect and great. And, um, one of the questions on our premarital counseling, one of the sections was how many kids do you want? When do you want to have kids? And what would you do if you couldn't have kids? And, um, I found it really interesting and we kind of knew that we wanted to wait a little bit after we got married. Um, before we started having kids, like two or three years, just because we wouldn't have been living together with our distance and everything. Um, So we got married in July of 2017. So just hit two years. Um, But it's weird, you know, so many women talk about like, oh, my biological clock is ticking and all these things. And we're young, like I was 23 when he was 24 when we got married. So like, by no means did I feel a pressure of time. But like, as soon as we got married, I was like, okay, so I need to get pregnant immediately, which (laughs) was like, so not our plan at all. And not my husband's. And he was like, yeah, no, 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 no. We're not going to do that. Um, And he was like, let's be realistic. Like we need to spend some time together. We need to get us together. And I was like, no, you're right. But it was just this like nagging feeling. Like I've got to try. I've got to try. Um, So December of 2018, we drove out to Pittsburgh to visit my family and friends. And on the way home, I just started like bawling. I was crying because I had been talking to a friend who, you know, an old coworker had been having trouble getting pregnant after being on birth control for so long. And so like immediately I was like, well, that's going to be me. It's going to be terrible. I'm not going to get pregnant for like a year. It's going to be, I'm going to have to keep trying and I don't know how I'll deal with it. So I was like, I think I need to come off of my birth control. 
and give my body some time to adjust before we start trying. So this was December. Um, another friend of ours, her and her husband, when they got married, moved um, to Ireland, actually, based on a job offer that he had for a two-year contract. So we had planned a trip out there to visit them, which we were like, okay, when we get back from Ireland, like that'll be our last like big cool trip that we can start trying. So like my plan was to give my body like six months with no birth control. Um, and it's going to sound so dumb now because looking back, I'm like, oh, you fool. Um, but I had planned, we like talked about all of what we were going to do for like contraception in the meantime. And I was like, oh, totally like natural family planning. I'll just do my temps. It's going to be so easy. Like people do it all the time. Like if it happens on accident, it's fine, but like, we're not going to try. Yeah. So that obviously is dumb because if you know anything about natural family planning, you really have to track your cycle for a few months without birth control yeah. before you can do that. <laughs> and like, I was just so gung-ho. I was like, no, we're doing this. This is great. Um, so the end of January, I normally have like maybe 26, 27 day cycles and the end of January, 2019, I get to like day 28 or 29, something like that. Like it was a day or two more, but like still a normal amount of time. And I was like, this is weird. I've never gone like this late before. I don't think, I don't know. And then I was like, well, maybe I like messed up on my temps. Maybe I messed up on something else, which like, of course I did. I had no idea what my cycles were. Like what even is your first cycle off of birth control? Um, and so I took a pregnancy test. Um, this was a Friday and it was positive. Um, it was super, super faint positive. I immediately like sent it to my friend and was like, wait, am I crazy? Like, is this positive? This is positive, right? Like I'm not just making it up. And she was like, no, like you're pregnant. That's positive. And, um, I work night shift. Like we kind of mentioned at the beginning of the podcast and it was, I think, before a night shift. So I didn't want to tell my husband and then go right to work because I wanted to be able to, like, have a couple minutes to, like, sit down and be excited about it with them. So I didn't say anything. And I went to work Saturday. Everything was fine. And on my way home from work Saturday morning, I was like, all right, I got to stop and take another pregnancy test or buy more pregnancy tests because – because like who pees one time and calls it good? Like, you can't, that's not a thing. So I stop and buy more tests and I get home Saturday. And so it was after work. So like it was a morning test, but really for me, I had, I'd been up all night. That's not, you know, it was a not a really long hold, so to speak. And it was still positive, a little bit darker. And I was like, okay, I'm going to get up this afternoon and then I'll tell him because he was, I don't know where he was, but my husband was at home. So I woke up in the afternoon. I was going in to work again that night. And of course I woke up to a text that was like, Hey, went fishing with friends. He, went, he goes ice fishing. Um, you know, whatever. I'll call you on my way home. Hopefully I'll be home before you leave for work. Not sure. And I was like, Ugh, I really wanted to tell him like we could have had a couple hours. And, um, <clears throat> so I go to the bathroom and I wipe and there's just like this really faint pink spotting. And I was like, 
at first I, I actually don't think I totally panicked at first. I was like, maybe this is just implantation bleeding because that happens all the time. I've read Dr. Google told me all about it. And so obviously that's what's happening because I've done a perfect family planning cycle. So I know everything. And, um, (laughs) and so I was kind of okay at first and I took another test, which is so silly because now like looking at it, I mean, you've had positives for so long and it was positive. I was like, well, it's still positive. Like this is fine. Why would it be positive if I'm spotting? And, um, I called, I'm kind of mixing up my days a little bit because they all ran together because I worked four nights in a row that weekend, which was just kind of crappy looking back at it. Um, but I ended up bleeding and the, the bleeding picked up and it got a lot heavier. And that night when I was driving into work, my husband called me and was on the phone and we were talking and I was like, so I have to tell you something and I don't really know how to say it, but I think I'm having a miscarriage. And I just, as soon as I said it, it was just like tears. And he, I mean, the poor guy was like, like, uh, cause what do you say? You don't even know that your wife could have been pregnant. Now you're dealing with the fact that maybe she's miscarrying. And we both, um, very much believe for us that life starts at conception. And so for us, this was like, like we're losing a baby and this is devastating. And it's like everyone on the podcast has said, the second you see two lines, like you have your life planned out. And so I knew the due date, I knew everything. It had been like 24 hours, but like I knew everything about this baby. And, um, so the bleeding picked up and it got really bad. And I was pretty sure. Like I I was as confident as it gets, like this is done. And I remember, um, just another, you know, to add into everything, not I'm a nurse, but I'm a labor and delivery nurse, um, maternity nurse. And so I remember bringing it up to one of the residents that I was friends with, one of the OBGYN residents I worked with and said like, Hey, I'm pretty sure I had an early miscarriage. Like, everything is fine. I feel okay. I don't need to, like, go to a doctor for that, do I? And she was like, um, yeah, you do. (laughs) And she was like, you really should make sure that, you know, just because we, you don't have anything necessarily established, like, it could be implantation bleeding. I was trying to explain to her, like, girl, this is not implantation bleeding. Um, but she kind of encouraged me, like, just at least make an appointment with an OB just in case. And I was like, all right. But unfortunately, the OB, based on our insurance, wouldn't have been the hospital that I worked at. Um, so I made an appointment, which they get you in pretty quick. If you say you've had a positive pregnancy test and you're bleeding, they were like, okay, we'll bring you in. Um, so they brought me in for a test. And they did a pregnancy test. And of course it was negative, which I knew it was going to be because I had only been taking like first response, which picks up like the smallest amount of ECG. Isn't that the worst though? Yeah. I hate it. I went into the doctor multiple with multiple of my pregnancies and then he'd be like, you're not pregnant. And then yeah, take blood. And it's like, yes, I am. <laughs> right. Right. And so I'm like, no, it's there. I promise. Like, and that was my fear going into it was that Mm -hmm. they were going to say like, well, you're not pregnant. So you never were pregnant. Like you're dumb. Um, my, 
my biggest fear wasn't that they were going to say I had a miscarriage. My biggest fear is that they were going to act like I never was pregnant. Yeah. And, Mm -hmm. um, the doctor that I saw was so sweet and she was like, you know, it's what we call a chemical pregnancy and, you know, it's really common, unfortunately. And she was like, you know, so many women, this, the sad thing with chemical pregnancy is that so many women have them and don't even know that they had them because they don't even track their cycles that well. And I was like, okay, well, like I did cause I'm crazy. So here we are and <laughs> I'm having one. So what do we do? And it was weird. It was just very like, I knew there was nothing that could be done. But it was like, it just, I felt dumb sitting in her office crying over like this poppy seed, you know? Mm -hmm. And I, she asked me, you know, were you trying? And I said, no, I didn't get into the dumb mistakes I made. Um, But I said, no. And she said, okay, well, just make sure that you're taking prenatal vitamins whenever you do start trying, you know, if you, and I felt really thankful for this. She said, if you get to the point where you've been trying for a couple months and you're not having any luck, call, you can always make an appointment, come in, we can talk through things, bring him in, we'll go over all of it. Like, don't stress about that. And so I felt really good because I know a lot of doctors won't even see people my age until it's been like six months to a year. Um, so obviously I was upset. We had to, I told, we chose to tell some family because For me, like, I'm really close with my parents, and it felt weird to tell them, to not tell them what could have been, um, just personally. And so, you know, we told my parents and his parents, and then I think really just my best friend was the only other person that knew immediately. And we've since told a lot of other people, just as it comes up in conversation. It's not something we're trying to hide. Um, And then... So that was end of January, beginning of February. In April, I had another chemical pregnancy, um, but this one was a little bit different because I started, I had like 24 hours of spotting on cycle day 21. And I was like, this doesn't make sense at all. So I gave it a few days and took a test and it was positive. I had like two faint positives or something and then nothing at all after that, not even any bleeding. So I ended up going back to the doctor and they did a test and it was negative. And she was like, yeah, yeah, it probably was a chemical that like implanted early and that spotting was it because it was so early and whatever. Um, so I was upset about that one, but I think it was a little, I was just more confused than anything with that. Um, but then I did kind of start getting a little bit crazy as far as like everything goes just as one does like with my symptom spotting and feeling like I was pee on tests all the time and like everything had to you just as soon as you when you decide that you want it it's like okay it's got to happen now and I'm not a very patient person to begin with um so and actually that second chemical pregnancy was also I don't want to say unplanned we weren't necessarily going out of our way to be active during my fertile window, but we weren't going out of my way to not be. Mm -hmm. Um, so it wasn't like, Hey, I'm ovulating. Like you have 10 minutes, but it was, you know, 
more like, okay, we're not going to pay attention to what the, what's happening on the calendar. Um, so we decided in April that the next month we would start actually trying. Um, and so we did, and I found out I was pregnant June 8th. Um, and again, like took a test that morning, sent it to my best friend because I didn't believe it. And I was like, okay, am I seeing lines? Because we know how I am. And she was like, nope, like your ego is prego. And, um, luckily I was like, well, I'm going to tell him a cute way because the last time times it's been like this weird afterthought where I have to tell him afterwards something happened. So I had bought a book, um, a few weeks before that it was like an Eric Carl book. I think it's like, I love dad or something. So I put that out on the counter with my pregnancy test and then a digital pregnancy test that said pregnant. And of course he was like an hour and a half late home from where he was going. I was like, Oh my gosh, was pacing the house is <laughs> driving me crazy. But he got home and he was so excited and he, I think he was a little bit shocked that it happened so quick, but definitely excited. Um, so I think the anxiety with the chemical pregnancies really sunk in because I remember like talking to a friend and saying, well, I don't want to call and make an appointment yet. Cause I haven't missed my period. And she was like, it doesn't matter. Like you got to make an appointment because sometimes people wait for a while for their OB appointments. And, um, both of these friends that a lot of my friends actually have all had kids. Um, and so they're like, you, you could end up waiting a little while. Like you don't want to push it. Just call, make your appointment. And I didn't make my appointment until I was over four weeks and missed my period because I just didn't want to be the girl that cried wolf again. Mm -hmm. Because that's what I felt like I was starting to be. Um, so we told our families really early again, mostly because we knew we would need the support even if something happened. Because, you know, you go through it once and everyone says, like, I don't want to tell anyone in case something happens. But once you go through a miscarriage of any kind, it's just as awkward to tell people I had a miscarriage, at least for me. It felt just as awkward, if not more awkward, to say I was pregnant, now I'm not, than to say I am pregnant, but I'm scared, and then to mm -hmm. have to go back later and say I had a miscarriage because it's less explaining yourself. So we told our parents. Um, my parents came out to visit, so we got to tell them in person, which was nice. And his parents only live a few miles down the road from us. Um, so we told them both on Father's Day weekend with, you know, we got them their Father's Day presents. And then we got them a book, How to Babysit a Grandpa. Um, and I feel like for me, it's, again, it's like everybody says, like that, the worst part of it is that all those good things are just taken away. Like all these things that like now I'm not going to get back the joy of being able to tell people because it's not exciting anymore, you know? Mm -hmm. um, but I definitely, I didn't film them and I do kind of regret that, but I'm going to cherish the memories of telling them for 
ever. Um, my parents were so excited. My dad cried. My husband, my husband's dad, <laughs> we, they watch our dog a lot and we call them like grandma and grandpa, just like in reference to our dog. And so he was like, Oh, is this about Finn? And I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> and he like looked at us for a minute. Like he totally didn't get it. My mother-in-law was like, are you pregnant? Um, I was like, no, I didn't get you a book from the dog. Um, <laughs> and so, you know, it was really fun being able to tell family. And we started telling a couple different friends once we got to maybe like six or seven weeks, which is still really early. I had told a couple of my close girlfriends because I felt like I needed someone that I could be like, all right, I'm panicking today and I need someone to talk me off a ledge. Um, but my husband actually told a friend of his, well, I think we were like between six and seven weeks and he was like, no way us too. And he was like, are you serious? That's so crazy. We found out they were probably like four and a half weeks ahead of us. And he was like, yeah. And my husband said, well, who have you told? Like, is everyone so excited? And he said, well, we didn't tell anybody. You're actually the first person I told. And I wasn't supposed to tell anyone. And he was like, oh, like, I won't say anything. Why aren't you telling anyone? And he was like, well, you know, that's kind of our superstition. And it kind of bothered me then. And I think it's, it's definitely a phrase that has like stuck around and bothered me a little bit more because like, unfortunately it doesn't change anything. And so many people that are friends of ours chose not to tell family members for a long time too. And I get it. But after going through things, I think, I don't know that I could do it without everyone's support. I don't know. But, mm -hmm. um, between six, around six weeks, I started having symptoms, just like really bad nausea. I was always super bloated. I'm a nauseous person to begin with. I have Crohn's disease too. Um, and that's always been like a symptom of mine that I've dealt with. And so the nausea I knew was going to pick up pretty quick. I had like ginger chews all the time on me. Um, working night shift definitely didn't help the nausea. And then also it being so hot outside. <laughs> It's like 90 degrees. I'm like, okay, I'm going to throw up outside. Um, but all the symptoms really started to kick in. And around, I had my first appointment scheduled. Um, and at this point, actually, I had switched jobs. So I changed hospitals. I moved to a hospital closer to my house and still um, maternity, labor and delivery, and mom, baby. and. I was actually working with the doctors that are in the group that I was going to now, which was nice, but kind of weird because, you know, how many times can you cry in someone's office and then go to work the next day and look them in the eye? Um, <laughs> I was like, oh boy, they're going to be like, get her away from my patients. Um, but around 4th of July, I started having, I don't even know if you could really call it spotting. Um, it was just this like dark brown discharge and not even every time I wiped, it was maybe like every third time I went to the bathroom and just the littlest bit. And even as a labor and delivery nurse, like I know people have bleeding all the time in early pregnancy 
and it could be nothing. And I know people have spotting all the time in early pregnancy and it wasn't bright red and there were no clots and I wasn't cramping. And so I really, I figured it was pretty normal, but with it being at this point, it was Friday morning. I thought maybe I'll just call and see if they want to do anything in the office. Maybe I'll get lucky and they'll add an ultrasound to my appointment next Wednesday. Like I kind of thought I was going to get like a little bit of a benefit out of this. Maybe if I like, okay, just tell them something's going on. They'll maybe they'll squeeze me in for an ultrasound sooner just so I can see the baby. Um, and when I called my doctor hadn't been in the office. Um, but her nurse was like, well, the only thing we could do is draw an HCG level. And I remember saying to her, like, that just seems kind of dumb to me at seven and a half weeks. What are you get? like, what is it really going to tell you? And she was like, well, it wouldn't be a bad idea. And the only thing is if you don't do it today and then you come to your appointment next Wednesday and you're still having the spotting and they definitely want to do it, like you'll have already had a serum drawn, so you'll have a level to compare it to. And I was like, okay, that makes sense. You know, you have to have two. You have to see the direction it's going. So we drove down. My husband came with me. Um, we drove down. I got my level drawn. They only did an HCG. They didn't do a progesterone. Um, and it was Friday. And they send their blood work out, I think, as far as, like, HCG levels go because it's a, it's a smaller hospital. Um, and so I worked Sunday night into Monday morning and I remember coming home and calling the office and leaving a message just saying like, Hey, I was just hoping somebody could tell me what my levels were. I'm going to be sleeping. Please leave a voicemail. <laughs> Please tell me what's going on. So I don't have to play this like phone tag. Um, and I got a message and they were like, Hey, your level was great. Um, which is such an arbitrary thing to say because when you look at what's normal for seven weeks, it's like twenty five hundred to two hundred and fifty thousand. Like how I know. How can you even just look at a number and be like, good? In it but that's kind of what they did. And um so my number was like thirty-nine thousand. Um and so she said, Hey, you know, I talked to one of the other doctors who actually is the head doctor of that whole practice, um, since my doctor wasn't on and she's so sweet. That doctor recognized me just by the name and told the nurse, like, just tell her what the number is and she'll know it's good. And that we'll schedule an ultrasound on Wednesday, um, with her appointment. So that's what they said. And actually when I got to work that night, I worked again Monday night, that doctor found me and pulled me aside in the hallway and was like, I just want to make sure you heard from the office. Like your number is great. We're not even going to draw another one because it's such a reassuring number. And I was like, okay, like I, I don't, I don't know how it works. And I don't know that pushing it one way or another would have really made a difference. So I was like, okay, she thinks it's good. I have an ultrasound scheduled. I'm feeling like garbage. So this is, I'm pretty pregnant. And, um, so I had my first appointment that next Wednesday and I was very confused cause we were talking and she was like, well, well, and then we'll figure out when your ultrasounds 
are going to be so that your husband can be here. And I was like, wait, so am I not having an ultrasound today? And she was like, no, not today. And I was like, I thought they said they added one on. And she's like, nope, not today. So again, you know, I'm not going to argue. It's not going to get me anywhere. But I was like, okay, it's, that's fine. Um, she did like a full exam. Everything checked out. My uterus felt like an eight-week uterus. I had all the symptoms that were adding up. Um, you know, the breast tenderness. She said when she did my exam that, like, my cervix was blue-tinged, which can happen when you're pregnant, which was kind of just, like, a nerdy thing I thought was cool. Um, so she went over all of it with me, and this was Wednesday. The following Thursday, so eight days after that, we were leaving for Ireland for a week. And I said, I really need to have an ultrasound done soon, though. Cause she was like within the next few weeks and I was like, well, within the next week. And she was like, yeah, we can do that. And I was like, well, I'm going to Ireland. And she was like, okay. And she wasn't arguing with me. So I don't know what in my body possessed me to say this as like a patient and a coworker. But I looked at her and I said, I need to have an ultrasound before I go to Ireland because I cannot come back and find out that I took a dead baby to Ireland. And it was one of those afterward, I was like, yeah, you were, you went way too far. Why <laughs> did you say that? Like, you gotta go to work with her. And she was like, so reassuring and was like, no, I totally get it. Like, that will technically be your first appointment. But when you go out to the desk, like, schedule the ultrasound first and then just schedule the appointment with whoever. Like, they have a few doctors, they have a few midwives. She was like, you don't, it doesn't matter who you see. Like, it's just the first appointment. And I was like, no, I don't care who I see. I just want the ultrasound. So I had an appointment scheduled for the following Wednesday. So it was one week later. Um, and I had my ultrasound for one and then a one thirty appointment with one of the midwives. Um, actually, it was like the only midwife in the entire group that I hadn't worked with yet. So I was like, well, that will be kind of weird when I walk in and I'm like, hello, I work with you, but you don't know me. And now I'm your patient. Um, but I was like, it'll be fine. I don't care. I just want the ultrasound. Um, so I continued to feel kind of like garbage and have any more of that spotting since that weekend before. Um, and we got there for my ultrasound and it was, <laughs> it was a young girl that took me back in and like this poor, I probably like traumatized her. I think she, I don't know if she was training or she's in school to be an ultrasound tech. Um, but I realized actually not at first. I don't know that she introduced herself. Maybe she didn't. I wasn't even paying attention, but I laid down and they did like a trans abdominal ultrasound and she goes across my belly and I can see the baby for a second. And then she keeps moving it. And I was like, what is this chick doing? Like she's totally missing it. And, like, she would get there for a second and then, like, it would move again. And I think, honestly, I think she probably knew what was going on and didn't want to be the one stuck in the room with me when I figured it out. Um, but then the actual ultrasound tech came in. And he was like, oh, did you see anything, you know, to the girl? And she was like, yep. And I was like, okay, barely, but okay. Um, and he was like, oh, congrats, you're pregnant. And so then she stepped aside and he sat down and he started doing the abdominal ultrasound. And 
I, it was hard because I've, I think I've really only seen, at least that I can think of, mostly transvaginal ultrasounds at nine weeks. And so I was like, maybe this is just a weird ultrasound for seven weeks. But I, th- I had a gut feeling. <clears throat> and so he said, well, your bladder looks really full. So why don't you go to the bathroom and come back? We'll do a transvaginal. And I remember um, the room was set up really bizarre. And so when I was laying flat on the table facing the ultrasound, um, Marshall, my husband, was like at my feet. But with my knees bent up, I couldn't see him with the sheet there. And there was a chair next to him. So I remember coming back from the bathroom and like he said, the ultrasound tech stepped out and was like, just, you know, take everything off below the waist, put the sheet on. And I remember looking at him and we looked at each other, um, Marshall and I, and I think we both just knew what was going on. And we both just kind of put on this weird fake smile. And, um, I laid back down and he did the transvaginal ultrasound. And so, you know, it was like baby for 15 seconds, one of my ovaries, baby again for like 10 seconds, my other ovary. He's like measuring my ovaries. I'm like, what is this guy doing? Measuring my uterus, measuring the gestational sac. And then, um, you know, he did what I know is his job. A hundred percent. I know that it is something that he had to do, but he did, um, the crown rump length and basically did like the movement, what detects movement across the bottom of the screen where, you know, if you've had a baby, you go for an ultrasound when they do it. And then it pulls the heartbeat across the bottom of the screen. Um, and he did it and it was just static. And at that point I'm laying, I'm not even looking at the screen and I'm just, I'm trying to keep it together because I don't want to totally lose it in front of all these people. Um, but I can feel tears just like rolling down the side of my face and he goes, I'm so sorry. Um, and I think that you can see that, but the baby doesn't have a heartbeat and like immediately I was just sobbing and he was like, I'm so sorry. I'm going to give you guys a few minutes when you're ready. um, We'll get you over to your next room. And so like, it's just one of those, it's so surreal. Like there I am. I'm no pants. I'm sitting on a piece of paper, naked, sobbing. Like it's the weirdest thing that you never thought you'd be doing. And, um, the first thing that my husband said was, this is not your fault. This is nothing that you did. And, um, then the next thing he said was like, (laughs) which is kind of funny because I think it was, it's like a panic response. He was like, I got, I've got to say something to her that's going to make her feel better. (laughs) Um, but he was like, as soon as you want to, we'll try again. And, um, which is like such a silly thing to say, like in that moment, but he was just like, it's not your fault. It's not your fault. And, um, so they moved us over across the hall and they were like, well, we're trying to figure out who you're going to see. And I was like thinking to myself, obviously not the midwife because she can't consent me for surgery or anything. So one of the other doctors came in that I worked with and, um, it was like a sigh of relief seeing her come into my room because I, 
very much respect her as a physician and as a person. And just seeing her come in, I was like, okay, she's going to have a plan. She's got it under control. And she came in my room and was like, Caitlin, I'm so sorry. And, you know, everyone in the office was so sweet. I think everyone that came in that like got blood work, signed consents, did everything. Everybody gave me a hug. Everybody reassured me it wasn't my fault, which weirdly enough, it was the only thing that I really didn't feel. I didn't feel guilt that it was my fault because early in my pregnancy, I told myself if there's anything that, if it's something that you think you could look back on, like I love bubble baths, but I didn't take one because I was like, if this is something I could look back on and say, maybe it was that bath, then I wasn't going to do it. Um, and so we talked about all of our decisions and I said, okay, well, I'm going to throw a wrench into your plan here. We leave in 24 hours for Ireland for a week. And she was like, oh my gosh, you know, like, what do you do? And I was like, can I still go? Like what happens? And it was, it was just, it was a weird choice to have to make because it was an international trip that we've been looking forward to for so long, like a year. And now like you're faced with this weird decision of what to do next. And I talked to her and I decided that I wanted a DNC um, and that I would go to Ireland. And if I happened to miscarry there, she went over. I feel really lucky that she was brutally honest with me what miscarriages are like naturally. Um, just from hearing a lot of women talk about it, it seems like they're misled to thinking it's a lot like a period, um, which I haven't experienced a natural miscarriage other than my early chemical pregnancies. But to me, those were, they were so early that they were very much like a regular period. Um, but, you know, she told me, a lot of women say that they just will sit on the toilet for two or three hours and bleed. And, you know, a lot of women, we're not even concerned about your bleeding until you've saturated a pad in 30 minutes, three times in a row. And to me, that was like mind boggling because as a labor and delivery nurse, we tell patients, if you saturate a pad in less than an hour, like this is an emergency. So it just felt crazy to me that someone so early on that that much bleeding is okay. And so I knew I wanted DNC before that, but she said, I trust you. And I know that you know your limits and you know, like you could be safe if you needed to get to a hospital in Dublin, you could. And we were staying right in the middle of Dublin. Um, it did limit our trip a little bit because, um, we couldn't really go travel to other parts of Ireland. At least I didn't feel comfortable with it. My fear was like, I was going to be on this tour bus and start miscarrying. Like, what do you, can you pull over? Like, I'm, I think I'm miscarrying. Like, what do you even say to people? So, mm -hmm. um, we stayed in Dublin and I felt really secure with that, but it was a very weird trip because my friends that we were visiting didn't know that I was pregnant and I had to text her later that day. And because I wanted to tell them when we got there. And I was like, hey, I don't really know how to tell you this, but I'm pregnant and I had an ultrasound and the baby doesn't have a heartbeat and 
I'm getting a DNC the day we come home, but I'm coming to Ireland. Yeah. And it was like, you know, my friend was luckily, they were so supportive and she was like, whatever you need. Like, I don't, don't feel like you have to, you know, whatever decision you have to make. And I was like, no, we're going. Um, and actually for me, the trip felt very therapeutic because I got to shut off all of my life around me for a little bit and just not necessarily even process it, but just not have to process everything else and not have to be around like my house and see all of the books about pregnancy or the pregnancy, the 900 pregnancy tests I've taken or things like that. Um, but it was weird because I did still have a lot of symptoms. Um, and when I was on the plane, this girl in front of me must have been like 20, 30 weeks pregnant and was like waddling around with her belly and everyone was like smiling at her. And I was like, okay, just, <laughs> just sit down. I, don't and know eat I, I laughed because it's just like, <laughs> because it was so, I was just sitting there and was like, is this even real life? I was like, just, you're just like glaring at this. Pregnant yeah. I was just like, like, what? And she was like diagonal. So I could see her and I was like, Oh yeah. I hope you're enjoying your rerun of friends. <laughs> just eat your crappy airplane food. Like the rest of us. Stop rubbing your belly. You're not special. Like it was just, I was like so bitter. Like she kept getting up to the bathroom and I was like, oh yeah, well I'm peeing a lot too. So you're not just you. Like I was so mad about it. Um, cause it just felt like, like a big punch in the face. Like I was like, cool, I'm going to Ireland. I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this anyway. And like, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna step outside of my feelings. And then like Prego waddles down the aisle and I'm like, oh yeah, cool. Um, so it was just, and then of course you saw like, you know, every pregnant person in Ireland, I was like, oh yeah, everyone with their fancy strollers and stuff. And I'm like, oh, well, enjoy your $1,200 stroller. Um, and so I did have a lot of like weird bitterness on the trip, but it was, I mean, honestly, it was so much fun. Otherwise, um, we got home Thursday and my in-laws specifically my mother-in-law is like a big doer she is not the kind of person that is gonna come up to you and give you a hug and like tell you how much she loves you but when we came home from Ireland our entire fridge was stocked with groceries oh um because she knew you know I'm not gonna want to go out the next day so I went in the morning for my DNC and it was just weird it was the hospital I work at it was luckily I kind of was able to fly under the radar with um with like the pre-op nurses, but it was so, it's just weird. You know, you're upset and you're crying. And my husband and I have kind of like a, a dark sense. I don't know. I deal with things with humor. And so, so do I. Yeah. So we kept like joking, just saying like weird things. Like I was like, well, you know, I'd started this new job and I wouldn't have gotten FMLA when I delivered because I'd gotten pregnant so soon. And I was like, well, at least I'll get FMLA now like that. <laughs> but you do, you just like resort to saying weird things like, oh, well, now we can, you know, vacation in Italy, which we couldn't do before. So we didn't have money. Like we're not vacationing in Italy, but, um, we decided on, you know, doing this and, I felt good about my decision until I walked in and I was like, Oh, I don't want to face all of these people. Um, and I was held for a little while for the surgery before me, which is fine. Um, um, I know how it works and 
they took me back into pre-op. Luckily, my husband got to come with me up until the minute that they took me to the OR. But the anesthesiologist came in. I've worked with him maybe once or twice on labor and delivery. And I didn't know this, but my doctor had told all the OR staff, like, she's one of ours, which it doesn't change anything, but just you don't have to explain as much. And also, it's just nice to know that you're taking care of like your part of the family. And she's like, she's one of ours. And so he said, have we met? And I was like, what does he mean? Does he know I work upstairs? And I was like, no, I don't. And he was like, well, Dr. Fry's told me you work upstairs. And I was like, oh yes. Okay. Yes. We've met. And, um, he went over everything and signed all the papers and I felt everyone was being so sweet. And we got back to the OR and he was going to do monitored anesthesia. So I wouldn't be fully, um, sedated to the point that I need a breathing tube. Um, so that kind of anesthesia, at least the way that he did it, took a few minutes for me to fall asleep. It wasn't like an immediate thing. And I think going into the OR really kind of set me over the edge. Um, and I just was laying on the table and that's when I started really crying. And my doctor who was just like an angel stood next to me and held my hand and was like wiping my tears away until I fell asleep and was like, we're going to take such good care of you. And like, we're all right here for you. And I'm so sorry. And, um, of course I couldn't just let it be a sweet moment. I had to say something weird. So I thanked her for not, because I know that you have to have your legs put up in stirrups for a DNC because I've done them for placentas after delivery. And so before I fell asleep, I looked at her and said, thanks for not putting my legs in stirrups before, until after I fell asleep. <laughs> Again, like, I just want to know what triggers me to say these things. And so I'm mortified. But um, she like kind of looked at me and was like, I mean, of course, but um, the DNC itself was super quick for me. I was lucky. I had barely any bleeding. I was expecting a ton of cramping. I woke up, they gave me a little bit of pain meds. And then after that, I felt great. I took um, ibuprofen mostly just to stay on top of it. And I think I took Percocet the first night just to help me sleep. But I really had minimal anything, um, which I feel very lucky for because I know that's so not the case with everyone. And it was surprising to me how good I felt afterward how like normal I felt after um just like laying on my belly and not feeling nauseous and a lot of those things went away for me really quick um so my recovery from my DNC went really well I that was on a Friday I actually went back to work on Sunday night which I would say work has been like the most challenging part of all of it just being a maternity nurse because so many women talk about like their biggest triggers being like when they have to see pregnant women and when they have to see newborn babies and I have to go to work and help pregnant women deliver their newborn babies every day and so I, I ended up I said to my friend one day on the phone I was like um, my whole life is one big trigger um which luckily I haven't had many bad circumstances. The only, I did my first night back, I had a patient that had 
a rougher delivery and was in a little bit of pain. And she did keep saying over and over, this is the worst day of my life. And all I could think was, yeah, mine too. Um, Because at that point, I was only maybe 50 hours out from my DNC. And um, other than that, though, it had, it's been, it's been okay. And I count myself really lucky because unlike a lot of women that have been on the podcast, I know a lot of women that have gone through loss um, in a lot of different ways. I know a few women that have had chemical pregnancies. I know women that have had miscarriages. I know women that have experienced stillbirth. And I was really lucky that I had all of them to lean on. And I still do because it's a really isolating feeling, Um, especially when most of my closest friends have all had relatively healthy deliveries and pregnancies and babies and that it's gone easy for them. And they're so supportive. They really are. But you don't always know what to say until you've been through it. Um, So we chose to send off everything to genetics, um, just to rule anything out because it had technically been my third loss, um, which ended up being a little bit of a scare. We had to get my blood work done because they thought they found something that could be linked to me. Luckily, um, that was not the case. They thought there's a chance that I could have had a balanced translocation, but my blood work showed otherwise. So, um, which is great because that makes it very difficult to conceive without any pregenetic testing or um, IVF. And we found out that it was a boy, um, which I think gives it a little bit of closure in a sad way, but I wanted to know what the gender was. And it's just crazy to me that they can even do that, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So we found out that it was a boy and basically he had a mosaic chromosome issue. So some of his chromosomes had this issue and some of them didn't, which was the balanced translocation. So part of chromosome two broke off and attached to part of chromosome one. Um, And they're saying that that's what caused it. And it was kind of just like a freak thing. Um, So we were given the okay to try again after I had one period back just because we weren't still not sure if it could be related to like a uterine lining issue. So we want to make sure that we're giving my uterine lining like the full chance to bulk up before um, getting pregnant again. And so we just try again. What a ride, huh? I know. What a ride. Um, Gosh, it's such a crazy journey. And you I, your story is so relatable. Like the way you told it was absolutely amazing. Uh, if you have a piece of advice for anybody in a similar situation, what would it be? Um, I think my biggest piece of advice is not to push people away. It was such a gut reaction for me at one point to not want anyone to be not even around me, but I just was like, I don't, I don't want you to be sad for me. I don't want you to have any feelings for me. Um, I just want to be alone. And I think it's a, it's totally okay to process things 
alone and independent, but I think it's important to, to know when it's time to lean on other people and when it's time to say, Hey, I don't know what to do. I remember it was maybe like a week and a half after my DNC. Um, I'd been pretty positive the whole time. And I texted my friend, um, who my best friend has two kids. Um, and they were both great pregnancies and, um, pretty smooth deliveries. And I said, she's also a labor and delivery nurse. And I said, I'm just really mad. I'm really mad that other people haven't gone through this. And I'm really happy for them at the same time. And I don't know what to do. And she said, well, I think it's totally fair to be mad. And you can be mad. And she said to me, you can be mad at me if you want. She just had her second baby a few months ago. And she was like, if you want to be mad at me, it's totally okay. But like, I'm still your best friend and I'm still here. And then like, I'm, I'm here for you. And she, I said to her, you know, sometimes I just want to say to people when they say, when are you going to have kids and when are you going to do this? And, or how are you doing? And how is everything? I was like, I'm kind of sick of just saying, okay. And she was like, so then don't. I was like, what if I just look at them and I say, actually really terrible because I just had a third miscarriage. And she was like, do it, say it. And I felt like I had to be positive and strong because that was what I had told myself. And that's not the case. And it's okay to reach out to people, even people that haven't been through it and say, like, I need you. I need to tell you that I'm upset and angry and I need you to be okay with it. And, um, so I think just reaching out and allowing yourself to be emotionally vulnerable is a really healing thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love that advice. Cause it's like, I mean, we should, we shouldn't sugarcoat it. Cause that just like right. keeps the stigma going. You know what I mean? Exactly. And I remember, um, you know, it, it is, it is a stigma and it's this weird thing. Like I know that there are other people in my life that have experienced miscarriages, um, that weren't public with it. And I remember feeling upset. Like I wasn't supposed to know that they had had a miscarriage, a miscarriage. And I remember feeling like I could have used you, like I could have used you and helped me. And I couldn't because Mm -hmm. you didn't share and you weren't vulnerable and it's not easy. And it's not like when it's the right time for everyone I think is totally different, but just like owning it when you're not feeling good and being honest about everything that's going on can a help other people and it can help you too. So. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I, this is going to sound really weird, but I loved that you used the phrase Um, dead baby because like to me when you tell people that it hits a little bit more like like when you told your doctor that it hits a little bit deeper than you know miscarriage or pregnancy loss it's like right my baby died you know what I mean right because to them like I'm and I know what it looks like on a chart I know what my chart's gonna look like when I do have a baby I know what it's gonna say I know it's gonna say that I've been you know at that point that I'll have been pregnant for times and had no successful pregnancies until that current one delivers or something you know I know what it looks like and I know all that my 
chart is going to say is chemical pregnancy, chemical pregnancy, miss miscarriage. Mm-hmm. But like to me, I carried around a dead baby for two weeks, three weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, it's real. And I think that we need to be able to say that and acknowledge it mm-hmm. and not brush it under the rug, like you said, because it is more than just a loss or it's an easy, that's a way easier word to say than dead baby. Yeah. Makes people a lot more comfortable to say it mm-hmm. that way. But sometimes we just need to use the the real feelings words. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm all for, I'm at the point where I'm like just into making people feel so uncomfortable with my honesty. Because <laughs> like, you know what? I'm uncomfortable looking at you with your perfect baby. So <laughs> guess what? I said to someone, they were like, I said, next time somebody asks me, when are you going to have kids? I'm probably going to say, I don't know, maybe when I can make it through the first trimester, maybe, maybe, who knows? maybe, maybe when one stays alive. Like, yeah. It's cause you do, you just have to, at a certain point, you have to make people feel uncomfortable because that's what brings change for everyone. And that's yes. what ends the stigma of it. Yes. It's so true. Um, if someone wants to reach out to you, is Instagram the best way? Yes, definitely. I, my Instagram is private only just like as a nurse and then with my husband being a teacher, like mm-hmm. high school kids are weird and they'll look you up online, but, um, totally request me if it's private or send me a message or something to let me know that it's someone from the podcast and I'll definitely accept any friend requests. So awesome. Thank you so much for jumping on and sharing your story. Thank you for bearing with me on my post night shift ramble. <laughs> <laughs> you did great. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure you share it with a friend who could find it useful or share it on your Instagram stories. Tag myself, tag my guest so that we can personally thank you. This is a lamb cam, you guys. We're not in this alone. We're creating this ripple effect together. Thank you.